Hello, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm very excited for today's episode. And I know I say that before every episode. Yeah, you say it all the time. <laughs> yeah. There has to be, it would be cool if you for once said that I don't give a shit about today's episode. Just start with that. Just once. I Why do you always do have to be so excited about stuff? <laughs> it's part it's part of my personality to be excited, but today I'm really, really, really excited. Uh, because I think the guest that we have today, it's a guest that you and him have never been in the same screen, I think, before. So it's a legendary episode, in my opinion, for all the nerds out there, including myself. And I just was telling you guys on Slack earlier that I'm low-key nerding about this episode, but I'm trying to keep it contained as a podcast host. But yay! Yeah, it's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. But first, if we talk about fun, how was your vacation? Yeah, we just uh, came back a couple of days ago and we were in uh, enjoying the sun in Tenerife. So in Finland, just for reference, in Finland, it's like minus five to plus three degrees Celsius. And it's just a horrible weather. It's slush everywhere. And just really, the de- mornings are still a bit dark and the evenings are very dark. And um, it was nice to be in the sun. And it was it was legit sun. Like there was... Enough sun that we had to apply sunscreen all the time and still burned ourselves. <laughs> yeah, so we had a wonderful time. The first we were there for seven days, and the first five days were just magical. You know, we were just lounging by the pool, and my kids were swimming and drinking the pool water, which kind of slides into what I'm about to talk about next. And um, just a great time. The last three days were just absolute horror, like complete <laughs> abject. uh my yeah my daughter got a stomach virus which kind of happens in these trips no yeah so she was really sick she had high fever and she couldn't keep anything in her and so at at, uh, you know 2 a.m we're calling the local doctor because she hadn't she wasn't able to keep anything and she's just two so she was dehydrated and um so we start calling the local first we try our own doctor in finland but they won't help us because we're traveling and they want us to contact a local doctor and um and um yeah so then then we call a doctor and this was kind of new to me that they didn't really ask anything in the mm-hmm. phone you know they just asked what our hotel room is and the hotel and then they said you know okay someone is come, someone will come over in 40 minutes and this is like 2 a.m um and so this person comes a doctor they have their gear with them and they don't even check her they just say okay yeah this is a stomach virus you know it's gastroenteritis or whatever and you need to give her, you know, uh, dehydration salts and and stuff. All of this we know, you know, our our, yeah. our daughter has had a stomach virus before. What we wanted was a checkup in case it's something with her ears because she often has it before an ear infection. Oh. And we, of course, would have just liked, like, if it's just a case of telling us what she has and giving us a recipe, why did he make the journey over, like, from another town? He could have just given us the recipe over the phone. Over the so phone, now we get yeah. a recipe for those drops. And it was just kind of really really annoying because um and you know of course he spoke he didn't speak very well english and we don't speak any spanish so there was always the annoyance of a language barrier and so it's just it just kind of reminded me that in some cases you know finland is an extremely by the book by the rules type of society you know we have procedures for everything it's very germanic in that way and one of the things that things that really works is our is this kind of health healthcare system where if we if this had happened in Finland, the phone call itself would have sufficed to give us a recipe, um, or sorry, I'm talking about prescriptions. We call them recipes yeah. in Finland, but we're talk, a prescription for these drugs, 
And we wouldn't have had to have a house call, which of course costs a lot more money. Um, well, anyway, we had we were insured and everything was, was fine. And uh, we got her into better shape by the time we were meant to fly back. And luckily, none of none of, like the rest of us are fine, even though my wife got sick after the trip. Um, not with the stomach mm-hmm. virus, but with something else she probably caught in the airplane. But yeah, it just reminded me that when you go on a vacation with small kids, it's like a you know a hundred and ten percent chance that one of you will be sick. So you just have to. We've already built kind of defenses that we assume that somebody's going to get sick, so we have kind of procedures for that. We were still able to enjoy like my son and I, we went swimming and then my, my wife was able to hang out with my son and have some time for herself. But anyway, it was a, it was a wonderful trip and it was a horrible trip of the best of <laughs> best of both worlds in a way. That's how it is with children in general. It is. Best of both worlds. <laughs> yeah. It's just so annoying. Um, but it's, you know, and they catch it from anything, you know, she could yeah. have caught it from daycare, from the airplane, for drinking all that the pool, pool water. water. Yeah. I, we think it's the pool water. Like, and and the doctor even said that you know this is the most common thing he sees in tourists. Like they all get out at some point, they all get out something in their stomach because Especially, of all the yeah. yeah. It's a new country. It's different. They have yeah. different purifications with the water. Like here, yeah. I think in Europe, we're way more, uh, I guess, Germanic. Uh, well, yeah, that was another thing. Like there's of course no natural water in Tenerife. It's an island in the middle of the Pacific uh, of the Atlantic Ocean. So everything is bottled water. And when we ask for water during the meal, they bring like one bottle of water for everyone. Mm-hmm. Just that amount of plastic waste they must be generating yeah. on that island is ridiculous. Like, I, of course, there's, I don't see another solution to it, but it's still like, it seems like such an incredible waste. Yeah, because yeah. there's no other alternatives and it's even sadder no. because they're on an island. Like, where do you yeah, take exactly. all of that stuff? Well, I'm sorry yeah. she got sick. Yeah, but we had like we're we're still like we we feel like we've recharged our batteries. Um, even with all this, all these flus and everything, it's it's still fine. Got some vacation time. We have, it's it's been you know long time since I've been on a on a just a legit vacation. beach hotel vacation where we do nothing else but lounge by the pool. So it was it was a lot of fun. Were you thinking about Jeff Sowers uh, by the full side of digital nomad stuff? Yeah, well, the cool thing about this was <laughs> that I was so preoccupied with swimming and, and hanging with my kids and, and taking care of the sick, sick daughter and, and just worrying about stuff that I didn't really do any work, which was really cool. Um, I, like, of course, I had to do some housekeeping stuff for Simmer, but um, other than that, I didn't really. And of course, I was in measure slack, but that's not work. That's just a lifestyle. It's fun. Yeah. 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 But um yeah, it, it was nice to be that preoccupied. So now that I'm back at the office, this is the first day I'm back. I'm actually back at the office. I feel a bit like I'm just a little bit backlogged. Not bad, but I don't. I have very low motivation. But I'm still trying to <laughs> shoot some videos for the course today. Anyway. Oh yeah, I have zero motivation and I have no excuse either. So it's like yeah. I used to have an excuse. <laughs> it's, mon- it's Monday blues. It's Monday, yeah. It's super Monday, and here spring came. It's actually pretty warm and nice outside, and the kids have cool. absolutely killed me this weekend. With let's do that, let's do that, let's do that, and I'm like, yeah. no, I just want to sit and sleep and watch trashy reality TV. But it wasn't like that. So yeah, yeah. it's gonna be uh, here. It's as soon as spring is out, all the parks are full. People are going in yeah. cotton candy. It's just becoming like crazy. So um, yeah, but it's cool. It's cool. It's, it's good nice. that it's warmed up uh, finally. 
But yeah. what? So what course are you uh, uh, filming for right now at Simmer? I'm still working on the CSS selector stuff. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm hitting the kind of the advanced parts now, so it's taking a bit more long. So it's taking a bit longer to to write the content and to and to shoot it. But yeah, I, I just I actually just now I'm at the point where I just really want to get it over with <laughs> because I've I've passed the point of this is really really fun. This is really really fun. Now it's just kind of like grinding it to the end. That's um, how I feel with CSS selectors in general. Yeah, I just want to get it over. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that I noticed is that it's actually very difficult to do a long, extensive, deep dive into CSS selectors because they're actually when you when you understand the basics, they're not that complicated. But it's it's still fun to put it into into um, educational format. And, I'm excited uh, about that course, and maybe you will do one on regex as well. I, I was thinking about that as well, but I, I yeah. Maybe, maybe it gets. It's a different level of complexity, though, and and it has a far more. Richix has far more. Like um, uh, one of the things that I really hate about any kind of digital marketing stuff is that there are so many different ways to do a single thing. So yeah. trying to write educational stuff for something and you have to take into account all the different approaches is detrimental and counterproductive. And Regex is one of those. You know, there are so many different ways to land an expression. So yeah, we'll see. For we'll my see regex, what happens. For my regex yeah. strategy, I use luck. I use I use regexr.com. Uh, yeah. But it's just complete luck. And somebody was asking me uh, from my team, like, "Hey, what's the regex for this?" And I was like, "Listen, <laughs> just because I luckily had the chance to do it a few times, that doesn't mean I have any logic." Yeah. And thankfully, one of our seniors in the team is doing this regex training. But like, it's it's, it's like it's like a cat just walked on your feet. Yeah. Right? that's how it is for me but before we intro our new guest i have a perfect song for today's um ad simmer ad oh nice and, and the song is very on a tandem with uh, your uh, pref your music preferences that you and our guests have so without further ado <laughs> there you go nice it's breakdown Thank you. Yes. Welcome again to the Simmer Minute. That's what I know <laughs> calling this. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> it's horrible. A simmer <laughs> down was what Jeff Sauer suggested as our tagline. Um, yeah, so I'm, uh, you know, Simmer is the sponsor of this podcast, and I'm running out of new ideas what to say about it during this little advertisement slot that we get. But visit teamsimmer.com. We have courses for technical marketers and people interested in technical side of marketing. And you can use the coupon code DEVIATE, that's D-E-V-I-A-T-E, -E, to get 10% off your course purchase. So that's teensimmer.com. Thank you. And uh, that, that was funny. You reminded me of Jeff saying, you know, that he's going to be on that lake with you. With the, and you're going to do your own new event, <laughs> your new yeah. podcast, Data Lake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was just, just a bad pun. It was um, my pun. That's why it was bad because I, I make the most horrible jokes. Cool, cool. So without uh, further ado... We have Julius, Julius Fedorovicius. I hope I didn't butcher his name, on the podcast. Um, Julius is a is a well-known well content creator around uh, GA4 and GTM. And one thing that we agreed on before this interview is <laughs> we're going to try... We're not going to tell Julius that we talked about this beforehand, but... We're going to try to avoid mentioning Google Tag Manager because that's what maybe Julius and myself are, are, are somewhat well known for. We're going to try and not mention it 
in this podcast. And the first person who ends up mentioning GTM or Google Tag Manager has to buy the other two dinner or, or beer or whatever when we see him the next time. So let's see how far we get with Julius. Um, and he knows that he's not allowed to mention it. So I'm just going to try to trap him immediately to get him to mention it. In the first, in the first seconds, as we talked about, yeah. like, hey, Ju- Julius, why don't you introduce yourself? Ah. <laughs> what, what, what do we want to, what do we want to talk about with, with Julius? Oh, I have some questions for a friend, aka me. I want to know how he started his uh, YouTube channel because I'm trying to grow my YouTube channel as well, and I have no idea how he got to. I mean, obviously, great content, which I'm still working on, but it's. I think the journey of of being a content creator in our niche is very interesting. Because you have to constantly be on, in, I guess, uh, things are changing so fast. Like how, like your content can become obsolete the next week or the next day. Like look at all this, hap- all this happening with GA4, right? Like every week there's a new feature, a new change, things move around. And I just want to know, like, how are you able to keep doing this yeah. all the time and still have a job and a family? Like, how can yep. we do this? And uh, yeah, but how about yourself? No, that's, yeah, that's always like anything about when I have a fellow content creator here, it's always kind of good to knock, knock brains together and see, see like, how are we here? And what, what, how do we do ideation? For example, how do we come up with new ideas? And just this idea of, of, well, one thing that I've struggled personally with is this idea that I'm writing technical documentation for someone else's tool without actually any, any, you know, financial payback. So we are doing the work that, uh, filling the gaps in documentation for Google, for example. So it's always kind of interesting to hear um, what his feelings are about that because it's, I, have, I have been very conflicted about this before and, and just the idea of writing something that could already be in the documentation just feels redundant. But it is it's what true. brings people to the blog. So it's, it's also kind of seems to be significant as well. It's also, that you, it's also that you guys are kind of translating the documentation in a way that's easy to understand because unfortunately, and I'm sorry for saying this, Google has a reputation for having very hard to read documentation and it's uh, very interpretable. Like it's funny. I think a lot of people are probably doing it because it's like so yeah. interpretable. And I think what you guys are doing, it's also like translating it for everyone to uh, to understand. That's why every time someone has a question, they Google you and him and go through your blocks first and then, you know, they get inspired and then they get the shit done. And yeah, um, yeah I'm excited to have uh, Julius on. Yeah. Cool. Well, Let's have him on. I think he's already anxiously waiting in the lobby to be let in. So Let's should let we? Woo, 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 Julius, welcome <laughs> to the show. How was it in the lobby? Like we have people waiting in the lobby. How was it? Did you get refreshments, drinks? <laughs> uh, yeah, but I was alone, so not oh, much yeah. to talk about. <laughs> the, you know, even when you're alone, you're still with yourself, and that's the best guest you can ever have in a room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm, since I'm mainly working alone, I had way too many conversations with myself already. So yeah, yeah, it's depressing. I, I have the same same thing actually as well. So how are you? What's up? Um. Yeah, uh, busy, uh, still with that all GA4 stuff. So I think nothing new here. Um, yeah. Actually curious what will be the topic probably next year. Uh, yeah. Because GA5. this year, GA5, <laughs> GA5.1, something like yeah. that. Uh, yeah, because uh, I mean, um, 
right like uh, before july 1st definitely g4 will be the hot topic i think after that it will be as well because there are still like very many late birds mm -hmm. who will be like hey my ga3 like my ua stopped working what should i do because yeah. <laughs> they were living under the rock for the last like more than year when google was starting to kind of aggressively push that so yeah. i'm curious like what will it be then maybe uh like alternatives to Google Analytics even more? Like, I don't know, whatever. Well, and of course, there's like a laundry list of features that we're still expecting GA4 to have, and they're not going to have all of those before July 1st. So it's, it's no, there's a won't. lot to write about. Yeah. Uh, I mean, definitely, like uh, many features are missing. I have already accepted that some features are not coming back, uh, which is, uh, again, like I already accepted that fact. But uh, when it comes to, let's say, the missing feature. So, I mean, again, I wish that Google publicly announced not only to like partners, but to others, like, hey, here's what are going to, here, here's what we are going to release for, uh, within the next, let's say, six, 12 months. Because right now, a lot of hate is because of, hey, we're missing custom default channel, or this custom channel grouping or item scoped custom dimensions, which are currently in the rollout. Mm. But basically, like, if they told the audience, like, hey, we are going to create this, we are going to launch this, then the expectation would be a bit better. And I think the acceptance of GE4 would be better. That's actually really, really interesting. That's something I've wanted to talk about for a long time, <clears throat> is that I, I wonder how, what would happen if they actually did produce a public roadmap? Because I, I understand that point of view perfectly. Like it would be cool if the general public kind of knew what was coming and there were a lot of guesswork eliminated from this but at the same time, imagine that you're a Google PM and you've released that this is our upcoming roadmap. And, you know, this might come this year, this might come next year. And now the people, now the hungry, like the rabid public knows, hey, I saw in your roadmap, you get channel groupings. Give me channel groupings. When are we going to get those channel groupings? Come on, do. Oh, by the way, I have these 10 different things that I want you to add to those channel groupings. And then my friend has 15 more things. So I'm wondering, like from a product development perspective, product management perspective, it kind of makes also sense to keep things that are very far away under wraps for now. Otherwise you're, otherwise you're throwing like food for undue expectations into the wild. Like then people might, like just the amount of noise that would inter interfere with your product management. I don't know if it goes like, do you think that's what's going on in their heads? Because that's what I think is going on in their heads. I think as well, but here's the thing. I would say, I mean, like if I was them, I would probably not go like, way too much into details but at least saying yeah. hey this year i mean or at least this half of the year well we don't need to know like the exact month when they're going to release that because again like delays you know deadlines all the yeah. other stuff they might delay that but let's say hey in this year because i saw some uh, in some occasions some leaked photos of like slides where uh, people mentioning like, like in 2024, they're going to release this and this and that and like three points, which is still okay. I mean, knowing mm -hmm. that we will have that feature a year after that, I, I, like from today, that would be already enough. And would again, I, I guess it would calm us a bit. Uh, and then when I try to, let's say, migrate and I see that, oh, right now G4 does not have this, this, this and that, maybe I should look for another tool completely, like go away mm -hmm. from Google Stack. But if I know that, all right, they are going to release this and this and this, 
just let's say the name of the feature without going too much into details, then I would say that would still help. Of course, the expectations then for features would be probably different from what we get eventually mm -hmm. with that feature. But I would say it's still better because like all the features that right now are released, uh, for example, items called custom dimensions, or I think uh, there were some rumors about uh, custom channel groupings as well. Mm -hmm. So in this case, like uh, they are not inventing some new features that would give them some competitive advantages. Right now, they're actually like picking up, like they're right now releasing features that are missing already and people expect them. So, and some competitors might already have those things. So this is not something that, you know, other competitors would use to their advantage because they might already have those things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm not, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I Somehow I kind of feel like they have, it's become this, you know, self-enforcing hypothesis in a way that they initially try to make it very clear that this is a different tool from universal analytics. And they always talked about feature case, like feature parody, uh, sorry, user case, use case parody rather than feature parody. Um, but I think that they've just, the more features they release that are obviously inherited from universal analytics lexicon, like, you know, sessions and session scope stuff and conversion rates and stuff like that. They're just painting themselves in a corner, trying to fit a square block into a round hole with the data model. And that's why, you know, when you look at BigQuery, you're completely bewildered by the differences with the UI. With the UI. And yeah, I, I, you know, I personally kind of feel like they should have named it something else than Google Analytics. It should have been a completely different thing from the get-go. And then they wouldn't be hampered down for the last two years. They've done nothing but appease the universal analytics crowd. That's how I feel about it. And I think that's one of the reasons they are so far behind the competition is because they're trying to produce a migration path from two incompatible tools or between two incompatible tools. But I'm very pessimistic about this stuff in general. So why <laughs> not take that with a grain of salt? But um, but this, this does, sorry, I'm just talking in the microphone, but that's just me. No um, worries. This does bring us to the actual focus of this discussion. Um, and a very, we can actually start with this because this is a very, we talked about this at Superweek very briefly, but we talk about a tool that you've written extensively about GA4. Uh, you're like one of the, the most prolific content creators for that. And now you know that there's a load of features coming up and you've created all these video courses and all these videos and all this content. What happens when they fundamentally change a part of the UI? What goes on in your mind when you hear about this? What goes on in your like day-to-day -day processes when you actually have to do something about it? So let's say your videos are now outdated, something completely fundamental. The navigation has changed completely. What do you do? I don't Go. have to imagine that. Uh, I, have, exactly. I have already faced this issue like multiple yeah. times. So first step is to go to take a shower and cry in the corner mm -hmm. of the shower. <laughs> yes. Then after that, uh, you kind of decide like what to do next. So uh, when it comes to paid, uh, I mean, the content of the paid courses, obviously those would need to take uh, I would need to update them first because again they're paid coin mm. paid content so i have to to do that so this is the first thing and then i have to kind of you know um probably schedule uh, some time in my calendar just to like actually f first probably thing would be to review the content the video mm. content of the course so that is quite intensive then uh, i would need to uh, kind of you know, prepare the sheet what should be updated what should not be updated and then updating one course would take probably i don't know 
two, three weeks, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time I did that, it was like probably, I don't know, 2019, I guess. Uh, then it was taking even longer. But right now I have kind of improved my processes. So yeah. I would say three weeks is is a decent amount of time. So then you update that. But again, uh, kind of uh, from, from the content creation perspective, that is not good. I wish I would spend more time creating new stuff rather than updating and maintaining yeah. my existing one. However, when you update the course, it's a very good moment to kind of you know do another upsell. Uh, like, hey, this is the currently the most up-to-date course in the market. And then here's another, like, uh, like let's say, uh, situation where I could kind of promote my content like here's like what you get and the fact that they are actually changing stuff and I am updating my stuff and not all courses online obviously are updated this gives me a sort of like a a competitive advantage as well but again right now this is becoming the new standard because let's say several years ago I was one of the few who actually were updating the content right now uh, all like not all but probably many uh, uh, like most popular content creators, they are trying to uh, update their stuff as well. So this is becoming something, you know, as standard as it is, let's say for the ASAS business, uh, saying that they are their support is 24-7, which is like, again, the, the new standard, which was not probably like five years mm-hmm. ago. Uh, so yeah, checking that. Then another thing is um, YouTube videos, I cannot update them. So if there are some most popular videos, that I see that they're still get, getting traffic. And right now, when their content, is, let's say, is up, outdated, I see sudden, uh, like, a like larger drop-offs at the beginning of the video where people realize, oh, this is outdated. Mm-hmm. So then I would have to publish them. That's why I have probably four or five one-hour tutorials on YouTube. Google Tech Manager tutorial for beginners. I'm getting sick of that. But... Ah, damn it. We got the beer. We got uh, the beer. I, I, I actually was rehearsing and I was planning to mention to mention a go, um, tracking code tracking code manager by Google or something like that. Oh, this was too easy. I was going to trap you, but you made it so easy for us. Yeah, sorry. Okay, now we can uh, talk about GTM as well. The, the gates have been the floodgates uh, have been unleashed. Okay, yeah. Uh, so anyway. uh, in this case, uh, I have like five tutorials, one hour long, about the same thing almost releasing every year because some things change every year. So that is kind of annoying. But again, like it, if, if, if there's a demand, I have to meet that demand and have yeah. to provide the content. And then, uh, of course, uh, then I took a look at the blog posts. So look at analytics, which ones are the most popular ones, and those get the highest priority. And then, so basically every time they change something, I mean, Google, uh, there's good good side and bad side. So bad side means that I have to spend more work actually maintaining stuff rather than creating new stuff. But on the other hand, uh, refreshing content gives me at least temporary boost in, let's see, search engine. When it comes to new content, again, Google, uh, YouTube in this case, likes uh, also content that uh, that has a, uh, let's say, longer uh, user retention. So mm-hmm. when a video is new one and people are not jumping between old tutorials, uh, that helps them as well and helps me as well. So again, yeah. like pros and cons. Yeah, I have a I have an interesting question for you, Julius, that I'm very curious about. So before it was, you know, you and analytics mania and uh, everything that you're doing right now. 
what were you doing and like how did you start this whole thing with blogs with content with like what were you, I, i don't think many people know myself included uh my like and this is the thing that sometimes people who enroll in my courses they they want not only to learn about the tool but they also want to um, want me to give them advice like career advice and in this case my journey is so unapplicable to them that I like they can they would not be able to apply that because basically I was working in a mar digital marketing agency uh um I started I think in 2010 or 2011 and then uh, we were basically just you know building but th the main stuff was just building websites installing GA uh universal analytics on their site giving them access and then all right it was nice meeting you Uh, then uh, what happened is that eventually, uh, like the, the CEO of the agency, he always wanted to bootstrap some like startup. So we mm -hmm. tried with one that did not go well. Then uh, eventually he started another one. And right now that company is not the agency. They are actually like a startup and very successfully growing. And they should become, I think, soon one of the, I think the third or the second, I think the third unicorn in Lithuania. So I think that they're they are going pretty well. Uh, but in this case, like when we were starting to work on uh, on the first startup, uh, there were two co-founders and one of them told me like, hey, we need to install Google Analytics. And this is, I think, well, not word to word, but pretty close what he said. Uh, Look at the data and give me some insights, like something <laughs> like that. And I was uh, <laughs> like, I have no idea how to do that. Uh, Easy. So Yeah. So, so, and, and even right now, looking at what we had back then, I think we still had like probably one or two events and all of everything else was standard stuff. So, but again, this forced me kind of to get familiar with, with, uh, with the Google analytics. I think even, uh, my CEO, uh, paid for my uh, GA certificate when it was a paid one, I think it was like 50 or a hundred euros, something like that. And before that, there was a course And uh, that's where I first time saw in the video Krista, where she, she I, I think she was also qu quite new at Google at that point. And she was uh, teaching us how to do analytics. And so basically it was her and Avinash jumping between videos. So this is how I started. And it was not, the start was not like that good. I would say I was still very at the basic level. But uh, even with that, I knew a lot more than others in the company. So I, I think it was like 10 or 15 other people. So I became the Google Analytics guy in the company, even though looking right now, I would say I was still a very much beginner, but again, knew more than they did. And um, so that started and I, I was still working my day-to-day -day job, which was basically managing developers just to make sure that they meet the deadlines and they, that they do their stuff. And uh, then I think someone somewhere recommended me that I can help them with Google Analytics. And this was like a side gig freelancing stuff. I never looked for a client ever in my life, which is, again, one of the things how other people cannot apply my career advice. So they just, uh, so someone recommended me, then I helped them, then someone else recommended me. And occasionally I started like freelancing, but still I had my main day job and, you know, several hours a week, probably I had some freelancing stuff. Uh, eventually, uh, at 2016, so here's the thing, uh, we were expecting with my wife, our first child. And I like back then with, with our second, that successful startup, it was still in the very beginning of the journey. So we were still <laughs> like losing more money than we were actually earning. And we had mm -hmm. like six months to break even or fail. 
And at, at that point, we, uh, my wife and I were like expecting our firstborn child. And we were, I was thinking like, all right, I cannot ask for the raise because I know the financial situation. Like right now we are kind yeah. of on a good tra trajectory, but I cannot ask because I don't, I know that there is nothing, no other money to uh, like to increase my salary. So yeah. what can I do to earn more money while still keeping my day job? And what I know better than others uh, that I should, how I should monetize this. And at that point, I was at the Mount Stupid of Daniel Kruger effect. I thought that I was an expert in Google Tech Manager. Again, second beer, no? No, no, just the first no, no. one counts. That's the first one, okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, yeah. actually, yeah, let's do that, second beer. <laughs> let's no, do no, no. that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, never mind. Uh, so uh, in this case, basically, I thought that I was an expert in Google Tech Manager. So uh, I uh, like arranged some stuff and I started doing some workshops in Lithuania that, was kind of okay. I think maybe, you know, several hundred euros in Eastern European country per month, additional euros. That was okay. And then I started to write analytics mania. Uh, again, by thinking that I was an expert. Now, the problem is that other people started commenting, asking their problems, like I was sending me their problems. And then I realized that how much I don't know, because they're like, they had no like I had no clue that those problems existed. And that's where one of the ways how I came up with new topics for my content. Basically, they come up with me, come up to me with something. I don't know. I researched that. I helped them. I learned something. And then uh, I published content about that. Because at that point, it was like 2016, there were still many topics about Google Tech Manager that were not covered properly mm -hmm. uh, by, by other creators. Because uh, Simo had a blog uh, where he had those ultimate definitive large, like, trigger guide for Google Tech Manager and it's like like that. But there were no, uh, like, like there was a lack of blog posts about, let's say, more specific niche topic, like how to use this trigger particularly with more examples. Mm. So that's where I noticed the demand and that's how the blog started to eventually grow. But yeah, basically, um, I was thinking I had a false perception that I was an expert. But right now, when I think I would probably knew back then at least at most 5% of what I know right now, which is, again, ridiculous, but it helped me learn because when you teach others, you have to actually learn the topic twice. You learn it for yourself and then you have to learn it the second time or like good, well enough. Yeah, it be, to be able to explain it in like layman terms. So that's how things. And then from there, like the rest is history. Mm. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, the, the, the idea of, of being an expert is interesting. Like, obviously, the more you do something, uh, the, the, the larger the population that knows less about a certain topic is. Like, the more you do something, the more you iterate and repeat and repeat and repeat. Um, one thing that I've talked about on this podcast, and also we talked about this at Super Week, is, is this idea that content creation could also be like a knee-jerk reaction. Like when you come up with a solution, write it down and publish it. Like you don't, you don't necessarily um, have to be an expert to do so. Obviously, if you write wrong, like the like the solution you write doesn't work, then there's a there's a moment of maybe self awareness there. But you can always fix it um, with due credit to people who helped you go about it. But if in this case, um, like you write a lot of content and you come up with ideas for content and you said that you you source a lot of it from the people who read your blog and i completely subscribe to that like the people asking questions and comments uh, that's like 50 percent of the blog post in many cases you have your blog post and then you have the comments 
And often the comments are where the real like nuggets of wisdom are hidden. Um, how do you feel about ideation? Like at this point, you've written so much about these tools. You've done so many videos. Can you like can you still come up with niche content that hasn't been covered before? Do you think it's it's possible? Um, or should you even? Can you just regurgitate content? Can you do, can you redo content that others have done maybe with your own unique flair, for example? I think uh, yes to both. So in this case, uh, I, right now uh, I have, I think, a backlog of, I don't know, 100 topics. Some of them probably will never become blog posts because I just like don't feel like I would like to want to write about them, even though there is a slight demand. But in this case, like you can, there are still like uh, the the challenge is much higher than it was in 2016 or 2017 because then uh, it was often like I publish a blog post, uh, I submit it to Google Search Console, 10 minutes I'm in number one spot because number two spot is unrelated to that content, mm -hmm. to that topic because nobody else wrote about that. Right now things are much much more difficult, but there are still like it's still possible. However, um, the topics that are remaining right now, they would probably like if we're talking purely about traffic, you would not get that much tra traffic about right about writing about that specific niche problem rather than writing some uh, let's say longer guide about conversion tracking or whatever, which is more like which is broader in this case, and you know more, there's more demand. However, there's more uh, competition in those uh, like. You know, shorter keywords as well. Now, when it comes to regurgi regurgitating the content, uh, it's still, I would say, possible. Like uh, right now, uh, I write a blog post, even if someone has wrote it, if I think, but again, this is very subjective. So if you mm -hmm. as a writer think that you can add something additional, then go for it. Like, But if it is, again, just you know, purely for SEO purposes where you're just doing the same stuff that someone else wrote, then... It depends, but usually I try. I, to I, I don't think that you, and you don't have to do that anymore, right? You don't, you don't, like you don't have to go for the low hanging fruit about new traffic because you already accumulate a lot of traffic. You already have a following, so maybe has your approach changed? Maybe um, did you do more like SEO research before than you do now? Do you have more freedom to write? Or let me put it like this: Today, would you spend time writing an article that you know? won't attract that much traffic like purely for because you it's a very 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 niche thing or it's a passion project for you or something like that would you spend time with that uh it depends so if the topic is something that looks really cool to me because hey i tried this new stuff i played around with these two things i merged them and then this third thing be like became a reality i would like to share that just you know to kind of feed my inner like geek in this case but if I see a topic that, uh, you know, uh, let's say in Google Search Console, I see that a small portion of people is looking for that, but I am not that interested uh, in mm -hmm. writing a blog post, I will probably not do that. So that's the reason why I have like 100 ideas in my mm -hmm. backlog, because probably, you know, 40, 50 of them would never become blog posts because they have like low traffic and... I would not enjoy writing them. So if I enjoy something, I will write even if I know that this will get, let's say, 100 visitors per month. But yeah. if I was just starting, I would definitely start with the low-hanging fruits with long-tail keywords that will get, let's say, 100 views per, per, per week or per month in this case. Because when you release like 20 blog posts like that, uh, then you have like 2,000 visitors or 2,000 sessions in this case. So then it makes sense. That's how I started because when I started, uh, there were already established names in, in the niche and I could not 
uh, compete with them by writing a Google Analytics tutorial for beginners because they're so like uh, the the authority of other uh, creators of other websites it was much higher. So in this case, I had to come up with some uh, short like uh, with long term keywords, uh, but that will get not a lot a lot of traffic. But then you know, little by little, uh, eventually when you have let's say fifty blog posts. All for, all for long-term keywords. Uh, yeah, so in that case, uh, that becomes a mass and then the blog started to grow. That's how I, I, I did that, even though, I mean, right now I probably not not to do that. But if, if some beginners are listening to this podcast, this would probably be a, a topic. That's one of, like, uh, one of my popular blog posts is about you know, some feature not working in Google Analytics or Google Tag Manager because people constantly deal with some features not working. And that was a low-hanging fruit. So if Google Tag Manager preview mode is not working, you Google, you find my search, which is like, I have been updating that blog post for the next, for the last like five years. And there were like multiple revisions because things start to break and some things get fixed. So that alone kind of helped me to establish my name, not only as someone who is just writing tutorials, but also someone who helps people solve their problems when they are um, when something is not working for them. I will not probably get that many subscribers from blog posts where I just say, hey, this is something that, that is not working. Here's how you can fix it. But just, you know, this helps for branding in general because many people noticed, told me that, uh, you know, I, I like your blog post, like this blog post helped me, like saved me several hours of, of uh, you know, head banging and so on. How the fuck do you have time for all this stuff? Because you do YouTube videos, you do blog posts, you do courses, like, and do you have a team behind or is it just you? Uh, 90% it's me. Uh, then I have one guy who helps me with the basic video editing. So basically I just send him, let's say a 30 minute video with, with a lot of mm, uh, lip smacking and so on. And then he just cuts out all, all those uh, let's say awkward pauses, and then I still have to. Re- I still want to re- review that, rewatch, and then add some additional touches as well. So each video still requires, let's say, several hours from me. Uh, then, uh, then yeah, then then blog posts. I mean, here's the thing: uh, when I started doing this, I, it was like 50-50 content creation and let's say freelancing and client work. Right now, content creation is probably like ninety percent of that stuff, and okay. the ten percent is just let's say for know to keep my edges sharp even though actually i can i managed to keep my edges sharp uh by supporting my core students they come to me they still manage to find some problems that i haven't seen because things are evolving and uh like i don't know answers to all their problems i some problems still need to do some research i might do some googling and then i either might find a solution or in some cases with g4 it's just like i have no explanation why this is happening and then you know, after six months, eventually, hopefully someone will find out that solution or maybe I will do, maybe someone else will do. But we like right now, the things, how how things are unfolding with Google Analytics 4 is that it's a collective learning journey. Like we don't know a lot of stuff. And then someone notices that, someone notices that. And the list of gotchas in GA4 is like growing exponentially mm-hmm. right now. Uh, let me ask you something that I've I've struggled with personally um, over the years. You and I both, and many people in our industry, are essentially writing technical documentation for a vendor. Like we we are we are filling the gaps in Google's documentation. I have to put a footnote here that Google is actually doing a lot better 
with their tag platform documentation today than they were when we maybe started blogging about them. Do you ever feel like you are <laughs> you are wasting your best year professional years being a unpaid tech writer for Google and you are at the whim of Google when they decide to change the UI, you are always one step behind versus, versus their actual tech writers know beforehand when something is coming up. Um, do you ever feel resentment about that or do you ever question your life choices? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> uh, so here's the thing. Google doesn't pay me, but I managed to pay myself for that stuff. So they change something. I update something. So as long as I managed to kind of fulfill my own needs in this case, it's it's part of the business. That's how I should accept, accept my business model. Uh, because like, uh, like each business model has its own pros and cons. So in my case, uh, I always have to chase and go run behind what Google is doing. Because I mean, I wish they would like if they don't want to communicate publicly, like uh, their roadmaps or whatever, I wish that at least they would communicate better with me of what is coming next. Sometimes I get notified very, very, very rarely. But and that helps because then I can, let's say, prepare and, um, you know, to update some stuff and then release it together with the feature. And then people kind of get this experience. Oh, so, you know, this is something big because like not only documentation, uh, which is sort of a maze, uh, but uh, not only that is updated, but also other creators are, are like publishing about this. So this must be something really important. But yeah, like the relate like it's always a love hate relationship with Google, with Google Analytics. With like, I would say the situation with Google Tag Manager right now is acceptable. I saw your tweet that there are some things coming up, but for the last let's say eighteen months, things were qu pretty quiet. Uh, so I am happy with that. So I don't need to update that stuff. However, uh, GE four updates twice as much as it should mm -hmm. be. I mean, so in that case, I kind of you know still get a lot of stuff that needs to be updated. But um, I don't think that I should be paid because I managed to to solve this by myself. Um, I sell courses. That's the main source of income. There's some slight, let's say, ad revenue from, from YouTube. But I don't know. Like So far, it feels good. But of course, I had already multiple burnouts. Uh, since I'm working on, so again, I had one person, uh, one person uh, who's editing my videos, and then I have one guy who I recently hired. Uh, basically, I just uh, like send him, I sent sent him a list of art articles which are outdated. Uh, so he should just uh, let's say review those articles and then maybe add new screenshots, something like that. And then I still have to review. So it helps me uh, to some extent, but of course I still have to spend my time to review all that stuff to. And I still want to be in control of the quality because uh, since I was ma managing developers for so long and then let's think the last year at my day-to-day like, -day job, I was managing like 20 developers. It was sort of a little hell because uh, at some point I often found myself when I come home and then I realized I did nothing. I mean, I achieved today nothing because basically just developers come to you sharing their problems. Uh, mostly professional, but sometimes even personal problems, and you have to solve them or at least show the, the, the direction. And then when you look at your calendar, you realize that I did nothing today. And when that was happening like for a long time period, I realized that probably I don't want to manage people anymore. So right now, working for myself is quite okay because you wake up in the morning and sometimes I just don't feel like, like I want to work today. And you know what? I can do that. There Again, I outsource some people, but they're not full-time people. 
so uh, I don't care basically what they do uh, during days when I don't have a task for them because they have other projects. So yep. there's no responsibility, which is helping a lot. I think this is a common theme with all our guests, almost all of the when that the ones that are you know on the entrepreneur side when you know you just do your own schedule. I miss those days so much when you would just woke up and say, you know what, fuck it, go back to sleep, turn around. So yeah, I uh, I do miss that. I also want to say for the record, uh, if Julian is hearing, see, it's not me giving uh, Julius ideas for content because we happen to like in the <laughs> in the last period, everything that Julius was dropping, I was like, oh, I just had to deal with this. Um, I do want to say to both of you that there is, in my opinion, that I'm just getting started into this field. I'm encountering issues that are not spoken about online. Like uh, before we started, I asked him or something that I couldn't find anything about because there's different ways people implement GA4 where we use Google Tag Manager. And it's so different from client to client that there's some things that are not explored. So I just, I guess it's a question for both of you guys. Like, how do you handle this community aspect where you crowdsource, uh, you know, all this information? Like, what do you decide in terms of what really matters for a bigger amount of people? Because it's the same as managing developers when you're doing features. You get a lot of input, but the outcome is just a few things that would match more people. Like that's the agile way of deciding, you know, like what is the roadmap for both of you? So like, how do you decide which matters for more people or it's not just an isolated case? Well, I can go first because it's uh, it's kind of clear to me, actually. Um, I don't really think about that that much. Uh, there's a gut feeling I get when I think that something can be useful. And that's what mm -hmm. I follow. That's what I've done from the beginning. I'm, I'm a very, uh, I think one of the reasons I, I've now neglected Simohava.com is uh, because I'm happy to do so. Um, I, I still have an unbroken stretch of not a single month without an article. So I've always managed to push it, which means that there are a lot of articles coming on the last day of the month that are really like rushed. <laughs> which is fine. Um, but that was always a personal blog. And then Simmer is now different. Simmer is professional. So with Simmer, we are now where Julius mentioned in the beginning, like trying to find a niche and trying to build a following. So it's a completely different approach. I can now really be very SEO-y in a way, trying to figure out what are the biggest questions regarding our the topics of our courses. But when it comes to individuals, uh, you know, asking questions in Measure Slack or something, and thinking, should I do a blog post about them? Like 99% of the time for me, it's now no. I'm not going to do a blog post about them. There are 16,000 people in Measure Slack and it has a permanent history. I can just answer the question there. If it's interesting, I'll tweet it. Um, mm -hmm. If it's interesting and I want to die a bit inside, I'll also put it on LinkedIn. Um, but that's, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely like hell has to freeze solid before I post anything useful on LinkedIn. But <laughs> the, but the, hurdle to actually write a blog post at this point yeah. where it's not something that I've been trying to cook for a, for a month or two. It's, it's very, very high for me. So for me, I, I don't, I don't enjoy that anymore. I, there, you, there was a time where when somebody asked something and I came up with a cool solution, I immediately wrote it into a blog post, but now there are so many other, other different microservices that I can use for that and then reserve the blog for more, maybe evergreen stuff or something mm. that scales immediately to a huge population, um, again, based on a gut feeling, uh, which is why I've been writing about measurement protocol for the last couple of blog posts, simply because it's still such a black box. And I know that there are so many developers and so many like, you know, 
um, app designers and, and device designers looking forward to a fully functioning measurement protocol. But in terms of like, you know, how do I do this in GTM? How do I do this in server-side GTM? How do I do this in GA4? I personally don't, like the, the checklist for should I write a blog post is now very, very long and it's very difficult to pass that for me. That's really uh, cool. For me personally, uh, in the past, I like there's like several approaches and the one that sticks to me at that particular moment, that works. So uh, there's a gut feeling. Uh, then there is, uh, let's say, but but it, it it used to be gut feeling like I used to use that a lot because I was just you know enjoying the process right and at the, at that po point it was purely about giving content and then the money will follow eventually so you provide as much value as possible and then basically I I heard that somewhere uh, that basically revenue and money is just a byproduct of how well you serve your audience and that that that's actually how it worked for me as well so. Uh, a lot of that was just gut feeling. Then eventually when I started, you know, to, as, as this started to become a business, I have to start to manage this as a business and then had to prioritize. So, uh, if the, if the keyword, well, let's say if the, if, if the search phrase about that particular content topic, if I, if I managed to find that somewhere, or let's say you know, Google search console, or maybe site search analytics in my GA, if I see that some people are also looking for that, that's, that this is like good enough for me to write about that topic. Or mm -hmm. if not, then usually I just uh, add another item to my backlog where I, let's say, write, let's say, one sentence about the blog post and uh, about, let's say, topic. And then I mention maybe a link to some conversation where that was uh, mentioned because, you know, if I look at that topic one year, like in the future, I will forget what, what, what I was thinking. So that context of the thread of let's say, forum uh, is definitely, um, definitely helpful. Uh, now, uh, the, the gut feeling is better. I feel when that kind of, when the block will probably work when not, but that just comes with, you know, experience and subjective okay. stuff. Um, yeah. And then one more thing that I was thinking, oh yeah. So, uh, if people start talking, like asking me something and then I do some research and I see that there is no demand in that, but occasionally it happens that within a week, five people write send send me send me emails about that stuff so like if there's like a, a theme for a problem this week that sounds like this is an indicator that i could write a blog post about that or create some other content and even though you know the traffic to that blog post will not be huge but, you know getting 100 500 visitors per week or per month it's still it's still good it still adds to the to the bottom line so i would say right now um uh basically you know Either many people have to report this stuff, or I just feel like I want to do that. If or if I have a gut feeling, and then I occasionally review my backlog because right now to keep sanity in place, uh, because you know just jumping between YouTube and Block will def would definitely be problematic for me because I would go crazy. So I came up with this approach, which is kind of working for me. So I work like I have themes for each week. So right now, in fact, the theme of this week will be YouTube videos. So I will record videos for the next two months and pray that Google will not change anything because then a lot of those videos or a portion of them will like go to the trash bin. That has already happened. So that's where mm. I cry in, in, in the shower. <laughs> but uh, You do a lot of crying in the shower, I think. 
that's my favorite place to cry because you know yeah. the water hides my tears, so that's good. <laughs> that's a good tip for all the all the criers out there. <laughs> yeah. So so in this case, I would say um, I I forgot my my thought. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah. 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 So basically, uh, yeah. So theme <laughs> theme. So this week's theme is let's say video tracking uh, video videos for YouTube. And then the next week's theme, let's say, will be just blogging. So hopefully to write a blog post per day. Like previously a blog post was taking like 20, 30 hours. Right now it's possible for me to do that in one day. Uh, I mean, one blog post per, per day if I feel energized enough. Mm. But sometimes I lose myself because uh, there was somewhere a Nintendo Switch here. So that kind of... Mm -hmm. Breaks the breaks the, yeah. the 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 writing spree for me, but uh, but that helps. And then the, let's say the other week might be I don't know um, updating course content. So I try to not do like uh, the repetition that every week on Monday it's video, Tuesday is blog post because that will become routine very quickly. But when I let's say record videos videos for YouTube within a week and then I never come back for the next two months and then I kind of become a little hungry again oh mm -hmm. I should start working on new videos so every time when you come back to something it still gives you joy because otherwise if you work like if you scatter your like work uh, work week and every week you do on do this that that and that eventually you will get tired so that helped me that's a good tip that's a really good tip before we wrap up I want to ask uh, Julius one more thing. I know you're uh, working with uh, a company in, uh, I mean, I think it's an organization in Lithuania that supports Ukraine and you've been uh, talking a lot about it. So maybe you can share a bit with our listeners and if there's the possibility still to help Ukraine and support Ukraine, like I think this is uh, um, something a lot of people would like to hear about. Uh, yeah, so that or like the, uh, the latest campaign was to buy some radars for Ukraine. Like one radar was like 1 million euros and we managed to collect like 14 million. So that nice. was like a joint, it was a joint campaign uh, organized by the nat national television and then like five different organizations who are also supporting Ukraine. They are collecting donations and some of them, you know, providing some humanitarian help. Others are buying armors. Others are buying something else to like say, I don't know, something else. So in yeah. this case, it, we kind of, it was a joint campaign. Uh, now that, since that is gone, but uh, those, so those uh, like nonprofit organizations, they still have uh, their own, uh, say initiatives, they still continue to to do what they're doing. Some of them are, are active since 2014 when this initially started. Uh, okay. So I, I will probably not mention their names because, you, like for those who are non-Lithuanians, it will be difficult to find. I guess maybe in the show notes uh, you could add some links. Yeah, so, definitely send us the links so we can. Uh, yeah, show because them. because those uh, those web some of them I, I think they also have the English version, so you will be able to find that. But again, those organizations are like trustworthy a lot, and the fact that uh, Lithuanians and Lithuanian companies managed to get so much money in fairly short amount of time. Even I mean, if we ca calculate this per capita, it was like what like seven euros per per, per capita in this case, like per, per one person. So uh, like even though 14 million might not sound a lot compared to billions that might other countries spend, uh, we still think that this is a fairly good initiative and the impact is still solid. Well, I mean, this this might take 15 minutes, but can you tell people where to find you, like all the different <laughs> places where you're active on? Uh, yeah, so analyticsmania.com is the main stuff. 
in, is the main place that initially, like that, that's where Analytics Mania started. And then after that, uh, in 2020, I eventually was, I, I decided that I don't want to get screwed by Google anymore because they were changing their, their algorithms a lot. So I decided, hey, I don't want to screw uh, to get screwed by Google. So why not be dependent on two platforms owned by Google? So, mm. so yeah. <laughs> so right now, yeah, I'm searching. So on Google search, analyticsmania.com, and on YouTube is also analyticsmania.com, and that is kind of kind of group, but uh, it is growing because uh, the blog had also like it had laid a good foundation, and that's where you find videos, uh, articles, and online courses as well about tag management platform by Google and, <laughs> and Google. Cool. Uh, nice. Just a bit too late. And you're yeah. of course also on Twitter and you founded a Facebook group for GTM and for GA4. Uh, yeah. Uh, the reason I think that, that why I founded Facebook is because of Google plus debt, I think. That, that it's so, not that it will forever live in our hearts exactly yeah but but again like in that case i decided hey i should take this space and have as much influence as possible and uh, so i started mm -hmm. that but eventually power hungry person you but but eventually it just became a forum where you can ask questions and yeah. i i i forgot when it was the last time i promoted something of my own stuff there so it's just like purely organic natural stuff and that's the place where you can get help if you are okay with mark <laughs> and the fact that there are a gazillion people there um so the the, the discussions so, yeah, get people, very noisy uh yeah they get uh, both groups right now have surpassed 50k members so yeah for a niche i would say fairly fairly good, yeah. good result well, Julius, on my behalf, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Um, uh, you are an inspiration. I think that you've been doing this for so long and so consistently that other content creators could maybe take a take a tip or two from you. Uh, I think it's really impressive how you've um, very similarly. We had Jeff Sauer on this on this podcast when he had a similar transition as you. So he started as a prolific blogger and and um, online educator, and he moved to video as well, and has found a lot of success there. And as I think you have as well. So, you know, just keep doing what you're doing and, and um, try to keep those videos updated, man. We'll try to do that. Of course, there, there is a risk that eventually I will burn down and I will say, hey, flip the table and then I quit. But at that, but... Point, but at that point, you've probably made enough capital to, to be able to kind of do that with comfort and enjoy but... your life on the beach. Uh, well, let's hope so. And I'll see you in Copenhagen uh, in two months so you can buy me that beer. Because oh, shit, yeah. nice. shit is expensive in Copenhagen. So I'll see you at Web yeah. Analytics Wednesday. That was a, an expensive mistake. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Also, I think, I hope I will go to uh, Measure Camp London. I think I haven't got a ticket yeah. yet, but that's like, if that's where you're going, maybe we can meet again also. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, thank, thank you for coming. Thanks everyone for listening and uh, watching.